News Network. In 1970, Ray Davies wrote, Girls will be boys and boys will be girls. It's a mixed up, muddled up, shook up world. Now I ask you, who would have ever thought of Ray Davies as a prophet? Well, that's a discussion worth having a beer over. So, pardon the expression, some straight talk. You're in luck. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And straight talk is what we do. And your Latter-day Prophet is Dan Newman. Hey, 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 it's Christmas week. Hello, everybody. Thanks for starting Christmas week 2023 with us here at TNN Live. I hope you had a good weekend. Hope you got all your Christmas shopping finalized and you've got everything for everybody. I remember in many Christmases past when we started having kids, we were frantic to get everything done. We had a, we still have a big extended family. We used to share Christmas, all of us, some 20 plus people under the same roof every Christmas. It was a huge huge get-together, one that our children grew up in even before we had children. It was a wonderful thing. My Christmases when I was young were just the four of us. We didn't go anyplace. We uh, had relatives. We, we started our family in South Texas. And when I was four years old, we moved to South Louisiana. And of course, back then, I mean, you know, we weren't in... Uh, horses and buggies back then, but it was a big deal to take a 200-mile trip just for a Christmas week and weekend, you know. So we just didn't do it. There were four of us, my older brother, myself, mom, and dad, and Christmas was a family thing. But it was small. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had great Christmases. And then when I met Marianne in college and we got married and then started having children, her family lived in a small town in northwest Louisiana, Menden. And she had three sisters. Everybody was married except her younger sister, of course, at that particular time. And we had kids. That's kind of what happens when you get married. And so everybody went to Big Boy and Mamaw's house for Christmas Eve. That's where Santa Claus came every year. My brother-in-laws and I. We just had a ball putting things together, trying to be quiet during Christmas Eve night. It was fun. And you know what? Faces have changed. Some people are no longer in that family picture. But I still love family get-togethers during Christmas time. I'm blessed. And this is the time of year where we need to just really be thankful for all those things that we have and be thankful also for some things that we don't have. That could be illness. That could be financial woes. That could be a situation where we lost a loved one. My precious wife lost her mother one year ago on Christmas, excuse me, on New Year's, New Year's Day. So coming up on that first anniversary, she was really close with her mom. We all were. We were really close family, and those of us left still are. But Christmas is a great time to reminisce. And yeah, you know, life's not always everything is great all the time. Bad things happen to good people. Always have, probably always will. But the good thing is we can get through it together as a family. And if you don't have a big family, that's okay. 
Just love the ones you're with. Love your family members, and especially moms and dads. I don't care how old your kids are. Frequently, not just at Christmas time or birthday times or whatever you celebrate, year-round, make sure consistently and often tell your children how much you love them, how blessed you feel because they're your kids. We may never know how long that will last. But knowing your love, especially by your parents, and they remind you of that pretty regularly, that's got to be good for kids that are seeking how to find their niche in life. This is not a great time of life in which you need and you're able to readily find your niche, determine who you are. Young Americans, just look around. They're facing things that we didn't even ever dream would be part of our lives 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and our kids are consumed by it. And it's going to continue to change. But the one thing that will only ever change, that it only will change if we let it change, is love and expression of our love for others. Remember those words this week and especially next weekend. We're all going to be together as a family, our family, and we hope you will be with your family too. So let's get the day started, Christmas week, with a Christmas song, okay? Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer, fun for all that children call their favorite time. Of Snowflakes in the air Carols everywhere Olden times and ancient rhymes Of love and dreams to share Sleigh bells in the air Beauty Tide by the fireside and joyful memories there. Christmas time is here. We'll be drawing near. Oh, that we could always see such spirits. Spirit through the year, such.
interesting version of that Christmas time is here. Just a woman playing her own guitar, singing by herself. I like sometimes, I like soft music, sometimes I like head banking music, but it just seems like this time of year is kind of a quiet time to relish and just enjoy everything and get out of the frenzy. I know you've got last minute Christmas presents to buy. You've also You're praying that your Amazon orders will show up in time for you to get wrapped before you have to jump on a plane and go to wherever your family's going to be. Those kind of things, that's part of the Christmas spirit. I used to really love going Christmas shopping when our kids were little. But as they grew up and uh, we turned into grandparents, and by the way, the month of March this year, we're going to be great-grandparents. I never thought I would be a great-granddad. Just thought about this. I wonder if my great-grandchild is going to call me. It's a great-granddaughter, by the way, if she's going to call me Poppy like all my other grandkids do. I hope so. But you know what? It really doesn't matter what our grandkids or kids call us. Whatever they call us, it sticks. We've got a very close friend and uh, his wife that when their granddaughters were born, they, the first one, the oldest one, just called him Bob. His name is Doug. So that granddaughter just tagged him as Ba. And the grandmother, (laughs) Jamie, is called, he's called Ba, she's called Ma. (laughs) And they're, they're fine with it. It doesn't matter what grandkids or kids call us, as long as it's not cussing us. But whatever they want to call us, it's okay. I guess the older you get, maybe you lose a little bit of your pride. You're just glad that they're in your life. At least that's the way I feel. Well, I hate to go downhill on our conversation, but we've got a lot of little things that are moving that aren't really little things, collectively especially. They're very important. We, the last few days, haven't really delved into this Hamas and Israeli horror show that's playing out over in the Middle East. And I'm sure it's been beaten into your head through the weekend that the IDF accidentally killed three Israeli hostages thinking they were Hamas uh, militants, terrorists, or whatever you want to call those Hamas fighters. And the IDF came out, the Israeli Defense Force. They came out and they said, it happened. It was a horrible mistake. We can't ever make it up. Those kind of things happen. And, and, And listen, you and I need to understand this. We're going down a really dark road. All of us are here in the United States. Thankfully, we've not faced guns in our faces and our houses being blown up and us being blown up. We haven't faced that here in the United States. But you know what? With everything that has happened in this administration, with illegals pouring in across our southern border, and we know without question there are many, many terrorists that are sneaking in that find we find out later who they are, and many of them are on the terrorist watch list. 
Now, that doesn't mean everybody that comes here is going to, if they're bad people, they're going to do things. But typically, you know what? Those are typically the people that do the things that got them tagged as terrorists. So why isn't the Biden administration, why aren't they going after those people and at least knowing where they are and what they're doing and keeping a watchful eye on them? Why aren't they doing that? I can't figure that one out. You put the fact, the knowledge that we have that there are a bunch of terrorists that are coming across our southern border, you tag that along with what we know that Hezbollah, who is really the number one proxy militant group for Iran around the world, not just over there in the Middle East. They have a massive training center, Hezbollah does, in central Mexico. Now, why would they do that? Why would Hezbollah, a terrorist organization, want to have a training center in the central part of Mexico? You want me to tell you why? Hamas has one too. Now, why would they do it? There's only one reason. They want to terrorize the United States of America people. And they're training people down there. And not all of the people they're training are coming from the Middle East. They're taking a bunch of Central and South American people and wooing them to join their terrorist organizations and training them to do what? create and perpetrate terror. And it's likely some of that is coming here. But before we get into any of that stuff, I just want to let you hear the latest. It's just a short story about those three hostages that were accidentally killed by the IDF. Yeah, hey guys, good morning. A tragedy on Friday morning has galvanized the country of Israel once again. Just 48 hours ago, three hostages were killed inside Gaza after mistakenly being identified as Hamas fighters. We are learning more about what took place. The Israelis say some of the hostages were shirtless. They walked toward the soldiers with at least one of them holding a makeshift white flag. Soldiers then reportedly opened fire, killing two of them and wounding a third, despite reportedly yelling for help in Hebrew. The third hostage was killed as the Israelis thought it was Hamas leading them into a trap. Families of more than 100 of Israeli captives still held by Hamas gathered overnight in Tel Aviv to call for their release. Pressure is mounting on the Israeli government to find solutions to free them as leadership has hinted at renewed negotiations with Hamas through Qatari negotiators. Now, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, and War Cabinet member Benny Gantz held a press conference about the situation last night with Netanyahu saying this. We are in a war for our existence, in which we must continue until victory, despite the international pressure and despite the unbearable cost that the war is exacting from us in our fallen sons and daughters. The war with Hamas is expected to last for several more months and with international pressure increasing on Israel, there's an understanding that with the new year could come a new phase of this conflict. Guys, back to you. All right. Thank you, Trey. It's a horrible thing. But one thing we know that is certain, anytime you have war, there are going to be massive numbers of injuries and sadly, far too many deaths, typically the people that die in these kind of wars, like the one that's being perpetrated, it's so just vast with so many different types
types and places to get into skirmishes with the people you're at war with, they're going to be more deaths than normally when they just draw up sides and everybody knows which side is where and who's against who, rather than this underground mess and this the people being very similar in nature. Not every Palestinian is evil. That's a fact. But how do you tell when you're on a battlefield? Who's who? We live in the most sophisticated time for war. You realize that? There are people that have lots of money. Like Iran, for instance. They have proxies, about half a dozen different groups that are proxies. And Iran is funding them all. Well, where does Iran get all this money? Do you really have to ask? Most of their money comes from us. And the fact that this president, President Joe Biden, his predecessor put massive, massive rules on Iran's oil being sold legally in the international oil marketplace. They sanctioned them. And what that did was it took Iran to their knees because their number one source of money to create money for their government and their people is their oil. And when the United States sanctioned Iran for the stuff that they were doing, it was all illegal on the international scale, no question about it, was they were not allowed the open market worldwide for oil was prevented from buying Iranian oil. And they went to their knees literally during the Trump administration. And then what did Joe Biden do? Totally solo. No conversation with Congress. You know that 535 people of elected representatives of the American people didn't get to have a say in it. Joe Biden just, he told everybody, I'm Joe Biden. And he just waved his Joe Biden wand. And he he sent them, well, he didn't send it, but he took sanctions off that liquidly gave them access to about $50 billion. These people, the number one thing in their life is they hate. They hate any Christian. They hate any Jew, not just in the Middle East, but anywhere in the world. And their number one commitment, according to the Quran, which is their Bible, regarding how to deal with infidels, and if you don't know what an infidel is, in their world, anybody that's not a Muslim has to either be converted to a Muslim from whatever their religious perspective is at the time, and if they won't convert, you kill them. Think about how many Christians live on earth that fall into that category. How many Jews in the world fall into that category? And they have only one objective in their minds, is to destroy us, period. Convert everybody in the world to Muslims or kill everybody that won't. End of story, right? Well, things aren't going good to uh, very good for Uncle Joe in the United States and around the world. So, numbers out, numbers change all the time. You can't depend on numbers. If you're governed by the numbers, you're going to die. 
politically by the numbers because they're up and down and around. And what most folks, most legitimate thinkers, what they try to do is get a kind of a census of the overall direction in the minds of the majority of the American people regarding an upcoming election. So while Joe Biden continues to still lag behind former President Trump and those national and battleground state polls, his numbers are even worse on several key issues that he's going to have to gain ground with if he expects to win next year. He's polling behind Trump on key questions on who voters benefited from most while in office, who they trust to handle the big issues, and who they believe is best fit to serve another term. Now, that just came out in a poll over the weekend. All of these polls point to voters having already decided against Joe on the current merits. That's from John McHenry, who's a Republican polling analyst, and he's VP at North Star Opinion Research. They just don't think he, Joe Biden, is up to the job. Whether we're asking about traits like stamina, mental sharpness, or about policies like our economy and immigration. So he's still behind. Trump has been trending ahead of Biden in national and some crucial battleground state polls a year before the hypothetical rematch. And he's currently up 3.2% in the real clear politics average. That's Trump. Additionally, Biden is now down by double digits against Trump on questions like the basic presidential competency thing, including the handling of voters' top issues and our fears and concerns over the Democrats' age. He should be worried. Democrats more generally should be worried, too. That's from Dr. Charles Bullock, elections expert and political science professor at the University of Georgia. The kinds of issues that Biden is trailing Trump on seem to be the issues that are foremost on the people's minds. That's the way it's supposed to be, right? One Wall Street Journal poll released December 9th found that only 23% of the voters think Biden's policies have helped them in any way. Now, that's compared to nearly 50% who said the same of Trump's administration. Ron Fauche, president of nonpartisan polling firm, president of Claris Research Group, believes this statistic is the worst omen for Biden. And he said this contrast is deadly. When Democrats decided to package their economic policies under the single label Bidenomics, it backfired. It gave a name to something voters hated. Well, they either hated it or they liked it. There's inflation. It spiked. And it continues to, regardless of what you hear, inflation has destroyed a huge sector of our economy, which means a bunch of American people. We're sucking eggs out here. Many critics attribute that to Joe's record spending advanced by congressional Democrats, like that infamous They want us to say famous, but it's not. It's an infamous Inflation Reduction Act. Add that to the the American Rescue Plan, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and other pieces of Joe's agenda, altogether responsible for greenlighting trillions in spending. 
and we're not done yet. Over the next couple of months, we could be tying ourselves up to two trillion more government dollars to be spent. Wall Street Journal poll shows Biden was down by double digits against Trump on who voters trust to handle issues relating to, of course, the economy, inflation, immigration, crime, and the wars in Ukraine and Israel. I, I go back every time we get into these conversations, and I'm not going to dig any further. There are a bunch of other statistical details in this, but you know it, I know it. And every time I have this conversation with anybody or I bring it with an update, as an update for you guys, I always think back about Bob Gates. Bob Gates, former CIA director, Secretary of Defense, he was a great leader militarily, knew a lot about stuff like that. When he got out of working in politics, he moved over to the education cycle and he was a president of Texas A&M. But he knew a lot, especially being in the intelligence division of our government. He knew a lot about the good and the bad things of people in the government because his agency interacted with all of them, especially high-up politicians. Remember, Joe Biden, 50 years, a U.S. senator, and that meant he weighed in very publicly a lot and often about foreign policy things. And Gates said years ago when he was asked about then Vice President Joe Biden's administration and foreign affairs expertise because Joe served on a lot of those committees while he was in Senate. Gates just kind of went... <laughs> Joe Biden has never made a good foreign policy decision in 50 years. Now, that was before, way before Joe Biden was even thinking seriously. He had a shot to be president. But boy, did Gates nail it on the head. And then compare Donald Trump with Joe Biden on any issue. What, as president has Joe Biden done that is measurably better than anything Donald Trump did in his four years? I can't think of a single thing. It's like everything Joe Biden touches turns to poop. And I'm being kind when I say that. It is what it is, and no matter how you try to fancy it up, it's not going to change. Joe's Joe. His old boss is even worried about this whole thing. Biden's re-election hopes, they're taking a major hit, it seems like, every week now. Poll after poll, showing Americans are ready to ring down the curtain on his disastrous reign as president, and now the most prominent Democrat in the land is sounding that alarm. That would be none other than former President Barack Obama. He believes that the plane is going down and that his party, the Democrat Party, could lose control of the White House with this deeply unpopular geriatric former VP heading up the ticket. News that will inevitably lead to call for Biden to take one on behalf of the team and sit down. You think Joe Biden's going to do that? Is there anybody on earth that can talk him into the realization that he is a total failure? 
Jill, his wife, obviously either isn't telling Joe he should think seriously about stepping aside or she tells him that and he won't listen to her. Either one's going to destroy us if we have any possibility of him repeating. It's not going to be a repeat. He's going to take us to an even lower level if he gets reelected. So citing a person familiar with his thinking, I hate those. Citing somebody they don't want to name. They don't want to tell you who said it, so they come up with a, uh, like that. Citing a person familiar with Joe's thinking. Who would that be? And Obama's thinking. Who would that be? The Wall Street Journal said Barack knows this is going to be a close race, and he feels that Democrats very well could lose if the party sticks with Joe. That same unnamed source said the superstar ex-president is worried that the alternative is pretty dangerous for our democracy. Using the word the Democrats have hijacked as a cloak for their anti-American fascist agenda that now bears little resemblance to its classic definition. Biden's approval rating, it's down now just 33%, has plunged to the lowest level since he's taken office. Less than a quarter of Americans say they're confident he can unite our country. Remember, he promised he was going to be the great uniter. He's not done one thing, not a single attempt, an honest effort to unite Americans during these three years he's been president. Obama's remarks came at a time when the Biden agenda is in trouble. $60 billion giveaway to Ukraine, looking like it won't get into the hands of the notoriously corrupt Eastern European country's greed ball, President Volodymyr Zelensky, before Christmas. It ain't going to happen. The House is out until after Christmas. So Volodymyr is not going to get that big pile of money that he banked on when he and his bride came to the U.S. last week. Adding to Joe's woes is the anti-Semitism that has been allowed to fester in his party all in the name of political expediency with the base of who they call themselves progressive. They're in full revolt over the Biden regime's stance on Israel's military military campaign against Hamas in Gaza. Chance of genocide Joe. You're hearing them everywhere now. Commonplace as all the pressure mounts on the octogenarian leader to force a ceasefire force a ceasefire? Do you think Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu would ever let Joe Biden or any American president force him into doing anything or to not do anything? They're smoking something if they think that's going to happen. The Wall Street Journal story in which Obama's fears are reported, it states that some rays of hope are peeking through for Joe. What would that possibly be? the Dow Jones Industrial Average, blowing through the stratosphere last week with numbers that, despite being touted by the regime and its media handmaidens, has no connection to the economic pain that you and I are feeling out in the hitherlands, real Americans who are being eaten alive by this inflation and don't have money to play the stock market. You know what I heard this morning? Now, right now, this month, the average house payment in the United States of America 
when you compare what it is today to what it was when Joe Biden was inaugurated, January 20th in 2021, payment back then, monthly payment, was $1,100 plus a month. You know what it is now? Over $3,000 a month. More than double, almost triple. Now, where does that come from? Primarily mortgage rates. They have skyrocketed. You call that inflation, by the way. Now, the stock market, remember, who does that attract? I mean, really, because they're using it to make a bunch of money. Well, it has to be people that have a bunch of money that can afford to lay it to the side and put it in the stock market. Who would those people be? According to Joe Biden, that's the most evil people in America, those filthy rich billionaires. We got to take money from them and give them to the poor. Probably need to change his nickname from Uncle Joe to Robin Hood. But despite all that, the Wall Street Journal says a round of dismal polls is increasing the jitters among even Democrats, including some of them, by the way, you heard this last week, over in the West Wing, Biden's own administration. They're worried voters' negative views on the president are just going unchallenged. Nobody's rebutting those bad numbers and stuff out there with any truthful, measurable, positive results for anything in the Biden administration. Democrats are getting tired, and they're ready for a full-fledged campaign to start. Good luck with that one. You want to march him out in front of people for months after months after months during the campaign cycle? That'll just make his numbers even go worse lower than we've seen now. I really don't care if they do. I think the more he gets out in the public and he is going to get off the teleprompter, He's doing it more so than I think I've ever seen him do it. And don't you know when he does that, 90% of the people in the White House, they grit their teeth because they are afraid what he's going to say, knowing full well that most likely it's going to be bad. And guess what? (laughs) He's not disappointing them. He can tie himself up with his own mouth like nobody in politics I've ever seen. And he doesn't even realize it. And nobody around him is tough enough to say, Joe, here's an example of the problem. You're either going to have to stop this or you're going to have to step aside. Now, who's in his life? that could get away with saying that to him. There's only one person. I don't think Jill can do it. I don't think Jill wants to do it. She loves the prestige that goes along with being the first lady. Joe's certainly not going to be able and won't listen to her. And he thinks he's doing a good job. I think there's only one person that might could get through. Barack Obama. But see, here's the problem with that. Barack has control of Joe. He's Joe Biden's hero. And it doesn't matter. Look at the past. Look at when Barack Obama, he first appeared on the national political scene when he gave a keynote speech at the Democrat National Convention. 
and I forget when it was. And Joe, afterwards, he didn't even know who Obama was. He called him a clean, smooth-talking black boy. (laughs) These Democrats will let any Democrat get away with anything with no accountability whatsoever. Look at look at what the look at what the mayor of Boston did. She's Asian. She wanted to have a special holiday, not Christmas, but a holiday dinner with people of color. No white people invited. Like there aren't any white people in her administration in Boston, right? We touched on this last week. It was such a charade. Somebody on her staff sent an invitation email out to those people of color, but they accidentally sent it out to everybody in her administration. That included some of those uh, evil white MAGA people. And they caught it instantaneously. Oh my gosh, we don't want any white people coming. And I'm not exaggerating. That's exactly what it was. And so what did she do? She wrote an apology out and sent it out in an email. Her apology wasn't for demeaning white people. She apologized for sending the white people the email and did not invite any white person to come. Never apologized publicly for any racism. Racism. Never even mentioned it. And she had the dinner over the weekend, and it was glorious. <laughs> so what does all that mean? Well, it's breathed new life of racism into politics in Massachusetts, in Boston. And it's Democrats that are showing their racism. And they're doubling and tripling down on it. It's okay. They're normalizing it again. It's like this old thing. They've always told us they are the ones that are righteous. And they can say anything about anybody Regarding skin color or religion, they have that sole universal God-given right. Why? We're Democrats. We can say anything. We're the people's representatives. That's okay. But if you dare have an R after your name and you're a politician, you're automatically a racist, a homophobe, a xenophobe, and every kind of ist and phobe that you can come up with. Why are you that? Not because you are that. It's because they want to label everybody that's not like them. And they're not apologizing for it. Here's what it is. There's no question why. I've got the why question answered a long time ago. The why is they think, hey, 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 we've got a shot at getting back on top. And the only way to get back on top for Democrats is we've got to convince everybody out there that if you're not a Democrat, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a xenophobe, you're a sexophobe or whatever else, transphobe, all of them put in there. And if you're one of those people 
And guess what? It doesn't even mean you really are. It's just if we label you that way, you're canceled. You're worthless. You're no good. So the answer to how they can do that is real simple. They found out the cure for racism is racism. Using it as a tool. I thought that's what they said that they did when they came in got in that civil war, and they did away with racism. The only problem is they were part of the racism crowd all along and just didn't want to admit it, and they never quit. They're still there. At Miller Lite, we believe if you're not choosing a light beer with more taste, you need to man up, not man down, because up is way better than down. You don't tell someone sad to cheer down. What's down, dog? A steamy pile. And you just stepped in it. Giddy down, cowboy? You must be settled on a blind three-legged jackass. Struggling to make down your mind? Let me help you. Yes, wear pants today. Looking for a down-and-coming neighborhood? Try Cell Block 4C. Great view with lots of bars nearby. Got a job at a start-down company? Let me guess. You slap buckets on a street corner. Getting pumped down for your big party? It's in a chat room and the only guest is Bernie, the 67-year-old retired clown. Oh, and your girlfriend's not wearing a push-down bra. It's called gravity, Isaac Nitwit. Can I be down front with you? All this down talk is bringing me down. So don't man down. Man up and choose a light beer with more taste. Triple Hops Brewed Miller Lite. Taste greatness. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Great beer, great responsibility. At Simply Safe, your safety is the only thing that matters. We design smarter ways to detect motion for emergency dispatch in seconds. We create HD cameras so you can see what's happening in your home from anywhere. All powered by Fast Protect technology, exclusively from Simply Safe for faster police response. Because in here, your safety is the only thing that matters. Advanced home security, 24/7 professional monitoring. There's no safe like Simply Safe. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dance. Yeah. Eight celebrities compete to become the real Baby and Johnny. Where my Johnny is? Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Hey, listen, once again, as we are headed towards, not this week, but the next week, the last week of the uh, year, some of you, I understand you can only listen to parts of the show because of your busy life, and some of you go back and grab it in podcast format because you want to hear the whole show later. Thank you for doing that. But I want to make sure that everybody understands no one here at Truth News Network takes you and your participation and your support for granted. Least of all in that group is me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. Many of you I know personally, you know me personally, More of you that listen in don't know me, and I don't know you, but at least we're finding some points of joining together, a consensus on some things. And that's important to think. It's not on everything. I'm sure there are a lot of things that I feel and think 
that don't resonate with you and vice versa. But you know what? We were given that right and that ability, not by Democrats or Republicans or uh, lawmakers. We are given that right by our creator, inalienable rights. And our government is never to be able to take any of that from us or control it. There are many people out there that think they are endowed with that right, that privilege, when they're really not. And when someone of them ever comes up and either writes me or occasionally calls in or texts or whatever, I make it very, very clear. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. And just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. That cuts both ways. Democrat, Republican, everybody within those two and outside of those two. We all fit into that mode. Just because we think we know it all, we don't know it all. And I've given you this example over and over again, trying to explain and get everybody to understand how this government and why it's functioning the way it does. Well, here's the why. I don't know. No, I'll take that back. Here's the way that they're doing it. The why, I'm still guessing, but I've I've circled it, and I think I'm pretty close on it. We've talked about it here. They want a permanent voting class of far leftists here that they can control and have in perpetuity total control of the government. How? They convince us. They bribe us. They use us. They point things out and drive it over and over and over into our heads, our minds of mush. And so if they say it, same thing over and over again long enough, people, some people are going to be beginning to agree with it and then make decisions based on that. And they've watched it very surreptitiously grow in strength and number and it just emboldens them. Look, we're being successful. Oh, that Donald Trump, that four years thing, that was just a blip. We're never going to let that happen again. And so you put that in the context of all of us on the other side of the polygraph, (laughs) the conservative side, we disagree totally that number of those on the right, the MAGA right, we'll just let Joe Biden determine the title. I'm not a Republican. Many of you aren't either. I'm an independent. I am an independent thinker. There are things that happen in the Republican Party I disagree with. I have good friends that are lawmakers. I don't just bow down. I don't just throw out my baited hook and just do sporadically and accept what comes in, I find out if it's factual or not. We all need to do that. Sadly, everybody doesn't. We're too busy. We don't have time. I can't tell you how many notes, and even on some of the stories, somebody will reply and say, thank you, I didn't know this. Thank you for giving us information and not trying to cram your opinion of it down our throats, but letting us have the facts so we can determine that. That's all this is about, and it's all it should be about for any of us. We're not endowed with 
unfettered, 100% logical understanding of everything, and it's foolish for us to feel that we are. How ridiculous are many of the leaders in Washington, D.C., because they have swallowed this drivel, hook, line, and sinker, somehow, and you can see it playing out in the life of Joe Biden. He's been told for years, you're the guy, you're the man, you're the guy. You can handle it all. You've got that knowledge, Mr. Biden. Go do it. Go for it. And the best illustration recently is he was out there. He invented the term Bidenomics. And he very happily, long after blue-collar, white-collar America all found out his economy, Bidenomics, sucks. And it's destroying millions of Americans' lives because of inflation, supply chain issues, everything going up in cost. I mean, beyond, far beyond the inflation numbers that we've seen happen in the past. It's Everything's costing twice as much in just three years. Monica Crowley, you see her. She is a sometime Fox News contributor. She has her own podcast. I love her politics. She fits into the description I just gave you of many conservatives in America, independents. And over the weekend, she kind of weighed in on what she sees coming down the pike this coming year. And it's not good. This kind of contempt coming from the left, including from the spokesperson for the president of the United States, where, where she was straight out lying that the source of inflation was not their $8 trillion plus that they've spent over the last three years, but Vladimir Putin and everybody else except them and their profligate spending. And then the left trying to tell you that it's your fault because you're spending too much or you're spending on the wrong things. I'm telling you that the American people have had it with the lies. They know their lived experience in this economy. They don't have to go back 40 years to the Reagan years to remember a booming economy. They just have to go back to the Trump years a couple of years ago to remember that. And I'm telling you, it's not only going to have economic consequences, this is going to generate a political earthquake come next year. She's right on. Americans are awakening, and it's a big, big monster are the American people all lumped together. No, we're not all like-minded. We don't think the same way. We don't feel the same way. We don't want the same things. We're not angry about the same things. We're not happy about the same things. We're the melting pot and always have been of the world. We're a place where everybody can come, uphold the rule of law, come the right way, uphold the rule of law, take advantage of opportunities, but not the system and not people around you. You're going to live a better life if you'll subscribe to that and do it all legally as it constitutionally is laid out. But instead... Politicians on the left principally, not only, but principally from the left side of the political aisle and their barking dogs, the mainstream media, they are endowed by their masters, Democrat party leaders and Democrats in government. They're got to toe the line. 
media's got to toe the line. It's a universal story that comes out of the mouths of the same people every day, and they're all in lockstep. I've told you this before. I'll tell you again. This is not just happenstance. Several years ago on this show, I played for you a uh, an audio compilation of one major television network. And when I say television network, I'm not talking about CBS, ABC, NBC, or Fox. I'm talking about individuals in local television stations from around the world. And a big story comes out, and we put up, it was about 25 or 30 of their news departments reporting the same story and started them talking simultaneously. And it was exactly at every one of those stations. By the way, a leftist television broadcast organization, every one of those statements said the exact same words. They were told by somebody way upstream This is the story that you give to the American people that watch your network news today. And they did just that. Let me give you an example, this morning example. This is from NBC News and claims they made. You're not going to believe the claims. Here we go. This is verbatim. Americans... You may look at shoplifters, open-air drug markets, shuttered shops in cities across the nation, and think that crime is on the rise, but you'd be wrong. Think about that for a second. Yeah, we can all rest easy, because NBC News has looked at new data from one of the least trusted agencies in the federal government, which... Agency would that be? Ah, how about the FBI? The FBI. And the FBI contradicts a widespread national perception that lawbreaking and violence is on the rise. The problem, this article argues, isn't progressive policies or opportunistic thugs. It's the news media stories and viral videos. I think we've been conditioned. We have no way of countering that idea that crime is on the rise. That's from a criminologist named Jeff Asher. Another one, Delinian is the name, assures us that Asher analyzed the FBI numbers. It's just an overwhelming number of news media stories and viral videos. I have to believe that social media is playing a role. That's from the criminologist. The 77% of us, Americans, who, according to a Gallup poll last week, think crime is surging, we're just simply, according to NBC News, mistaken. Citing Asher, Delinian reports this, the FBI data which compares crime rates in the third quarter of 2023 to the same period last year found that violent crime dropped 8% while property crime fell 6.3% to what would be its lowest level since 1961. Murder plummeted in the United States in 2023 at one of the fastest rates of decline ever reported. And every category of major crime except auto theft went down. FBI agent 
is the latest armed carjacking victim in crime-ridden D.C. An FBI special agent was reportedly carjacked at gunpoint in Washington last Wednesday afternoon, prompting laughter from conservatives. According to D.C., police officers were called to the 100 block of yada, yada, yada. Yet 92% of Republicans, 78% of independents, 58% of Democrats think crime is rising. They say this is from the Gallup poll. Violent crime, according to Asher and the FBI's annual report, released in October, fell back to pre-pandemic levels in 2022. Detroit's on pace to have the fewest murders since 1966, Asher said, while Baltimore and St. Louis are on track to post the fewest murders in each city in nearly a decade. That's from Delinea. A few cities, including Memphis and Washington, D.C., are still seeing increases in their murder rates, he admits, but they're the outliers. Oh, sure, San Francisco businesses are closing up shop and fleeing California in droves. Retailers are seeing their shelves emptied by bands of brazen shoplifters, but the data doesn't necessarily support the notion that retail crime is skyrocketing in some American cities. California Sheriff blasts major box retailer for handcuffing deputies on shoplifting bust. A California sheriff became a social media star after he lowered the boom on a major national retailer that reached out for help with shoplifters and then restricted how deputies could do it. Of course, FBI data doesn't have a separate category for retail theft. The journalist said that. It falls under larceny, which declined over last year, according to the latest numbers. So, a BizPAC review. BizPAC, bastion of financial integrity and honesty in media, right? As they reported, the FBI data contradicts a September survey from the National Retail Federation and the Loss Prevention Research Council that showed retailers lost more than $112 billion to crime in 2022. That's about a 19% increase in losses from the previous year. Now, how does all this reconcile? (laughs) Here's how Costco is winning the $80 billion war against retail threat. On X, folks seem more inclined to believe their eyes than they do the FBI. Nobody believes the FBI anymore. You are actually worse than CNN, someone else said. I can't believe I'm even saying that, but it's true. The feds say crime is not worsening. Grocery prices are fine. And the shots are totally safe, wrote a third. So you just go back to sleep. The Fed say crime is not worsening, grocery prices are fine, and the shots are totally safe. Yeah, right, and cows can fly. Now, I brought you that to show you it is stupid for any of us, I don't care who you are, to listen to a numbers news story, especially if you're watching the likes of ABC, CBS, NBC News, um, the Washington Post, the New York Times, the LA Times, and then you have MSNBC, CNN, and all the rest of them. 
you can't listen to, read, or watch those stories that they're coming out, they're spitting them out every day, and somehow just look at the circumstances of your life, your own life, that of your family. Look at your credit card interest rates. I almost croaked the other day. I have a habit of every time I can when I get a credit card bill, I pay the whole thing. I'm not watching, you know, payments unpaid this month or paid partially rolling over and seeing the big interest charges at, when I get my statement. I don't really pay much attention to that. But I looked the other day. It's uncanny. Uncanny. Credit card interest rates are 25 30%. Where in the heck did that come from? It came from the Fed raising rates, the Federal Reserve raising rates. Now, why would the Fed do that? It's because they look at the numbers, and they know. You and I don't know. We just think. They've got the facts. They live on facts. Who's doing good now in America financially? Who's doing good? Joe Biden's doing pretty darn good. Everybody that's got lots of money is doing really, really good. I've, I've told you this little story. I'll do it real quick. We're going to take a break. And on the other side, we got some other big news. But um, my mother, my parents divorced. Both of them remarried. My mother, a beautiful story, fell in love with an older man. And they got married. And he had he was he was a pretty wealthy guy. And this was in South Louisiana, and this was in, oh gosh, the late 70s. And we had gotten past uh, all of the Richard Nixon, the Watergate crap in the early 70s. That was all gone. But interest rates and inflation just took off. And I remember this because we bought, and Marianne and I bought and sold a couple of houses during this, uh, mortgage rates around that time when we first got married back in 75, mortgage rates were, I guess, about 3 4 5%, something like It was less than 6 or 7 It was in, you know, realistic range. And when Jimmy Carter world went full-blown, mortgage rates were 18 19%. Can you imagine having to pay 18 19% interest on a mortgage. And we were fortunate. We had a good friend that he and his family owned a mortgage company and we bought our second house and we financed it with them. And we, in a period of four or five years, we bought and sold and made some money and we would just upgrade the houses that we, and we're young married people. I was in business just getting started and it, and it worked pretty good. But we sold one house and moved to another city. And uh, we were there for a couple of years and got ready to sell that right in the middle of this 18% stuff. And people, houses weren't being sold because nobody could afford mortgage rates. And it was unheard of for you to sell a house that had a low mortgage rate and the people that bought it could assume your loan. Oh no, mortgage companies wanted to go back and get as much money out of the new buyer as they possibly could so they wouldn't let anybody assume a mortgage. 
this friend of ours that owned this house, we were moving, selling the house that we had a really good loan rate on, 7% was what it was. And at that time, think about it, 18% mortgage, 7%, you'd think you'd died and gone to heaven. And out of the clear blue, they let us sell that house to them and let them assume that rate. That was a miracle. But let me tell you in the middle of all that, and I just told you that little story to re- get you to go back and remember what your life was like. Those of you that are, I'm 70, or some that are listening today, I'm sure that are in our age group. You remember those days. Everything was expensive, way more than normal. We couldn't believe it. And of course, today's inflation makes that look like kindergarten back then, except for the mortgage rates. We better pray we don't ever go back to that 17, 18% in mortgage interest rates. Oh my gosh. But when that period was going on, this very wealthy stepfather of mine, he gave my mother uh, bank stocks. He owned a print. He was a principal in a bank in South Louisiana and banks were making a lot of money back then. And so my mom took a bunch of that stock and she kept trading it. She would sell the stock put the money in the bank, come back later when the value of the stock went up and bought some more and did that for several years. Now think about it. If you had in 1979, 1979, good time to think about, maybe 1980, right along in there. If you had say a hundred grand liquid money, you could, you could tie it up in a bank in a CD like a year and you could get 12, 13% on your money. Now think about that. One year, 12% on $100,000, you made 12 grand in one year. If you had a lot of money, it was a great time to make a lot of money. And that's what rich people do every day. Of course, the rates aren't like they were back then, thank God. But nevertheless, people made a lot of money. And I'm likening that as an example to what's happening right now. Who's making a lot of money in the nation? Filthy rich people. Are you one of them? I hope you are. I really do. I'm not one of them. I'm a middle-class American. I'm not out, thank God, having to beat the street to make a buck. God's faithful to us, and we have the income necessary to live the life that we live. And we're thankful for that. But far too many Americans are stuck in the Joe Biden, Jimmy Carter merry-go-round of being forced to cut all your spending in half just to maintain or try to maintain the lifestyle you have. How many of you could give away half of your income and it not drastically change your life? And that's what Democrats in Congress today are expecting you and I to do. And they're trying to make it plausible. And this criminality story that I just gave with you, where they came out NBC News and they lied through their teeth, misrepresented numbers, and basically told anybody and everybody that thinks crime is up and money is down, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. But you know what? That's a working philosophy that they have perfected through
through the years. If you don't like the truth, people around you don't like the truth, don't fix it. Don't make it better. Just make those people think that as bad as it is, you're deluded. It's not bad at all. In fact, it's pretty darn good. Facts and evidence is all you'll see and hear. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. Hello? Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah, uh, the instructions say... What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Off to gang and showtime. Uh, do you know this guy? I'm not going to cry, am I? Only if you don't believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> movies, right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. Speaking the truth, the mainstream press will not. Dan Newman, TNN. Well, I hope the economic session I just concluded, about three minutes of it was, it kind of gave you a sneak preview of where we're going to continue to go, at least until the administration at the top changes and is no longer a D behind it, but an R or an I, independent or Republican, because economic conditions are not going to change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Now think that through. You got problems with something in your life because this is happening and this is happening? Well, what's causing this and this to happen? If you want change of this and this, you got to change what's making those things happen are you going to get the same results? Now, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this next story to you. Why? It's not because I like it. It's not because it's funny. It's because it explains or describes some of this insanity you and I are watching play out every day, and we do the SMH. Shake my head. I'm shaking my head so many times a day, I think my neck might break off and my head roll out into the living room floor. I just can't believe what's happening. In the United States Senate, one of the most used and very important committee hearing rooms late last week, it got some action, but it wasn't a committee hearing. I'm not even going to explain anymore. Listen to this. This is the story that kind of gives you what really happened. 
Stuart Tan, the United States Senate is being rocked by a sex scandal. U.S. Capitol Police are investigating after a sex tape surfaced online. It showed two men engaged in sex acts inside room 216 of the Hare Senate office building. That's a famous hearing room where U.S. Senators have grilled high-profile presidential nominees, including Supreme Court justices. It's unclear if the tape will be considered criminal conduct, but it may have violated Senate ethics rules. That, as reprehensible as it is, that happened during the day in a U.S. Senate hearing room. Two guys in there not just having sex, but creating a porn video, having sex two guys in a Senate hearing room. And yes, they were both Democrats. And yes, one of them worked for a senator. Of course, he got fired when it was caught. And so I won't even give you the name of that senator. If you want to know who it is, you can go look it up for yourself. But Everybody began to wonder, what does that say about that senator? Is he involved in stuff like that? Sometimes when you look at somebody, you think you know who they are and what they're all about. Very often, that's not the case. I know we need to be open-minded and give everybody a shot and only consider anything about them based upon what you yourself see or hear from them. But how many people do you get face-to-face with in your life that you really know. You don't just know about them, but you really know them. You don't get to know people unless and until you spend time together. And it's true about you too and me. Human beings, I think it's just a natural thing. We all try to get everybody to think about us in a perspective that we create the way we want them to think about us. And in that scenario, what are we principally going to believe? All of us are trying to get others to believe. Hey, we're good folks. Yeah, we're good people. We're better than everybody else. Well, maybe not that extreme, but you know what I'm talking about. Some of the stuff that I told you after the top of the hour that would really, really look bad, it's just because so many things we're first hearing about There's some of that stuff every day. Our military, we've been told since Biden took office, it was going, and and not just him being president. Our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, hardcore leftist. He left lots of skeletons in the military when he was active in the military as an officer running various parts of our military. He's got. Lots of evidence behind him that tells people about what he is, what he's been in the past, and what he was probably going to do as he restructured our military. As many believe, between the Ukraine-Russia war and the war now between Israel and Hamas, our government, our military, is teetering on the brink of World War III. So much so, the Pentagon is warning Congress that America's fighting force heading into this year, this next year that starts in a week and a half, our military is the smallest it has been since before World War II. 
On Wednesday, speaking before the House Armed Services Committee, Ashish Vaziriani, the Pentagon's acting undersecretary for personnel and military readiness, revealed that the all-volunteer force faces the greatest challenge since its inception. Here's what he said. In fiscal year 2023, the military services collectively missed our recruiting goals by about 41,000 recruits. And he said that number understates the challenge before us as the services lowered in-strength goals in recent years, in part because of the difficult recruiting environment. According to the annual Defense Authorization Bill that was passed this past week by Congress, the total number of active duty troops in the armed forces will drop, listen to this, 1,284,500 next year, next fiscal year, fiscal year 2024. That's down nearly 64,000 personnel in the last three years and the smallest total for America's military since 1940, before the United States entry into World War II. Nobody talks about this. Nobody in our at the Pentagon ever comes out and explains how all this happened, what made it happen, and what are we doing to change it around. We're looking right now, we are looking right down the throat of World War III. We don't have the necessary numbers of people in our military to fight the wars we're currently not in but skirting. Israel, Hamas, Ukraine, maybe Red China coming up and taking over Formosa. Many of you don't know what Formosa is. It's Taiwan, the old name. The ranking member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Senator Roger Wicker, Republican of Mississippi. He's concerned that this reduced military and size are putting our country at risk, you think? He said, we need a larger force in every branch. But the reality of recruiting is driving the numbers, not what we actually need. As has been reported, some branches of the armed forces are bending over backward to lure in new young recruits. They're calling them, we're using inclusive ploys. Inclusive ploys. I have no idea what that makes, what it means. In May, the Navy enlisted Yeoman Second Class Joshua Kelly, a drag queen known as a TikTok influencer, and they recruited Joshua to serve as a Navy digital ambassador in an online outreach program to attract would-be soldiers. <clears throat> Think that through. You got a guy that wants to join the military, the Navy, and he enlisted. What's his background? He's a drag queen and a TikTok influencer. In April, citing an obesity surge among young Americans, the Air Force raised the amount of body fat for recruits that they can carry. Those strategies didn't appear to work as both Navy and Air Force are expected to be down thousands of airmen and sailors from the 21 numbers. The Army's facing the largest recruitment problem out of the military branches 
as it's down right now over 40,000 troops over the past three years. Marine Corps, which along with the Space Force met its most recent recruitment goal, is still expected to be down by nearly 9,000 active duty service members compared to fiscal year 21. So while the end of the draft, formerly known as conscription, as it ended, a divisive era in America and fostered the most capable military the world has known, it also set in motion a decades-long shift in who serves in the military. For example, in 1995, 40% of U.S. youth ages 16 to 24 had a parent who served in the military. But by Last year, 2022, only 12% had a parent who served. And according to Vazirani, members of Generation Z, and especially young adults aged 18 to 26, they have low trust in many institutions ranging from government to the media to very large companies. We need a national call to service, especially for military service, but also for national and public service, he said. We need national leaders like government leaders, community leaders, business leaders, teachers and other influencers, and especially leaders like the members of this subcommittee to talk about military service with youth in their communities and ask them to learn about and consider serving in the military. The DOD is examining opportunities to increase insights about potential recruits, how to better reach them, our messages must reach today's youth where they are with a message that resonates with them and motivates them to act. And they're acting. They're saying, I don't want anything to do with the military. So let me give you an example of what a lot of people, mostly people in leadership, officers, uh, secondary grade officers in the military are doing and saying, but this one is a guy that's been around for a long time, Senator Lindsey Graham. Now, he's a senator. He is a military supporter rabidly, always has been. Lindsey doesn't care what language former Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump uses to describe illegal immigrants so long as we get it right on the U.S. border. Now, how does this carry on with what we were just talking about? Now, Graham, let me put this in perspective for you. Graham's a Republican from South Carolina. Very conservative guy. Very military go-getter. And so what he's responding to is all the hardcore leftist sycophants that there are out there and there's a reason why our military numbers are going down, 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 and we are in danger now. First of all, if we get pulled into a real war, we will not have enough money for even the bullets that we shoot out of our guns as military. We don't have enough to do it for us. Joe Biden's been sending all of that stuff to Ukraine. And now we just we just sold a big chunk of it to Israel. And it takes a while to replace all that military armament and weapons and bullets. That's got to be done with. You've got to 
create, build, or God forbid that we buy ammunition from other countries. And Lindsey Graham is now talking about people getting angry at what former President Donald Trump uses to describe illegal immigrants. This was on Meet the Press yesterday. Host Kristen Welker pleaded with Graham to condemn remarks that Trump made in New Hampshire about the need to keep immigrants out of this country. Graham said he could care less what language Trump uses to describe migrants as the Biden campaign accuses Trump of parroting Hitler. You're talking about Donald Trump's language as you allow the country to be invaded through the border. Oh my gosh, they're poisoning the blood of this country, Trump said of the swarms of illegals coming over President Biden's open border. That's what they've done. They're coming into our country from Africa, from Asia, all over the world. 90-something countries we have illegals that we know about that have come here. The Biden campaign accused former President Trump of, quote, parroting Adolf Hitler, Welker told Graham before asking for his reaction. The senator has, by the way, Lindsey Graham, he has endorsed Trump again. He noted that 76% of the American people believe the border is broken. Welker wasn't concerned about the border being broken, but the language, oh my gosh, we got to get our pro-towns right. Our pronouns have got to be perfect. We can't diminish or demean anybody. We've got to get it right. God help us. And anybody that doesn't have the pronouns right don't even need to be considered to serve in any office, especially the presidency. So after Graham got pressed by this reporter to focus on the Republican frontrunner's words, Trump, Graham tried again. He said, I'm worried about an outcome. Trump had the border secured. Addressing the Biden administration, Graham said, you're talking about language as you sit on the sidelines and allowed the country to be invaded. 172 people on the terrorist watch list have come through on your watch. Fentanyl is killing 100,000 more Americans every year. Senator Welker interrupted, just on the language, just on the language, though. In other words, let's don't talk about the meat of the issue. They don't, let's don't talk about the facts. We're, we're the new United States of America. Oh, we're all woke. We're in the DEI and every other three-letter title you can come up with that means absolutely nothing of substance, but it sounds so good. Graham looked genuinely disgusted by Welker, who insisted on putting Trump's speech above the substance of his message. You know we're talking about language, he sneered. I could care less what language people use as long as we get it right. We have chaos. We need to create order, he said. If you think you're going to win the debate on illegal immigration by picking a line out of a Trump speech... Most Americans understand the game has to change, that we're under threat, that we're going to get attacked, that our border's completely been obliterated. So if you're talking about the language Trump used rather than trying to fix it, that's a losing strategy for the Biden administration. And Welker would not let it go. Why? 
He's a lapdog of the Democrat Party, as all of the leftist, quote-unquote, legacy media outlets. He asked, would Trump appeal to more people if he chose different words? Admitting that he sometimes disagrees with the way Trump talks, Graham stressed that the former president actually delivered on the border. People are looking for results, he said. If the only thing you want to talk about on immigration is the way Donald Trump talks, you're missing a lot. Welker, (laughs) she wasn't through. She tried an even more ridiculous angle, asking this. Is it the position of the Republican Party that African and Asian immigrants are poisoning the blood of the people in this country? No, Graham replied with a deadpan face. It's the position of the Republican Party that we have lost control of the border, that terrorists are coming, that there's never been a higher threat to the United States from a terrorist attack from a broken border. In another clip, Graham stated, I've never been more worried about a 9-11 than I am right now. And by the way, he does not believe a deal on the border will be reached until after the new year. We feel we're being jammed, Graham said. We're not anywhere close to a deal. Our border has been obliterated. We're not going to give in on some Band-Aid fix. As one Twitter slash X user put it, Every now and then, Lindsey Graham states the obvious and makes a good argument. Symbolism over substance. Symbolism over substance. So let me just let me just point over somewhere else besides the United States. We know who we have here. We know what they think. We know what they want. But what about our partners in other countries? the ones that are supposedly, on the most part, like-minded politically with the United States. In other words, a democracy, a freedom-loving nation. Typically, we once a week or so, we bring you some thoughts coming from our buddies at Sky News in Australia. Kind of get a comparison to what we're thinking over here. Over the weekend, I looked and looked and looked, and I couldn't find a whole lot. You know why? People in Australia don't think the United States is in a good place right now. Here, listen to them. Let's get into it with my next guest. Joining me now is political journalist John Fund. John, President Biden's political standing is at its weakest point of his presidency. A new Wall Street Journal poll finds with voters giving him his lowest job performance marks and favoring Donald Trump for the first time in a head-to-head test of the likely 2024 presidential matchup. More bad news for Biden, but can it get any worse? It just did this morning, James. The Pew Research Center, which is one of the most respective polls in America, found Biden's popularity falling to 34, 33%. That is down nine points since the beginning of the year. And it's even worse among some groups. Only 61% of Democrats approve of his performance. Among blacks, it's only 52%. Among Hispanics, it is cratered at 33%. If you ask people, they have confidence in Biden on the economy. Um, 
that's at 36 percent. If you go and ask which party do you have the most confidence in to govern the country, Republicans are taking the lead now by five points. This is such a disaster, and this is across so many different polls, that the prediction that you and I have talked about for weeks and months is looming ever larger. The Democratic Party has got to find a way, if it wants to remain in power, to dump Joe Biden. And if they really are lucky, dump Kamala Harris, too, at the same time. Well, and these numbers, you know, you just mentioned a bunch of them, but I want to throw some more at you. The latest Bloomberg polling numbers shows Trump leading in key swing states, Arizona by four, Georgia by six, Michigan by four, uh, Nevada by three, North Carolina by nine, Pennsylvania two, and Wisconsin by four. So this also would seem to cut against that kind of narrative that Democrats had been putting out there that they're going to cope with it by, well, look, there's all these states, it's a state-by-state state thing, not a national race. But that falls apart, too, now, doesn't it? Well, it seems that the American people are very divided, but increasingly they're coalescing around one point of view. If you're a liberal, a conservative, uh, if you're black, if you're white, you have less confidence in Joe Biden. And in fact, the one core constituency that he has held on to until now has been people with postgraduate degrees. Most people, you think of doctors and lawyers as postgraduate degrees, but actually we have more sociologists and gender studies, PhDs, and you know, like Dr. Jill, a doctorate of education in the White House. Mm. Uh, it's a lot, a lot more postgraduate degrees in those categories. Uh, it's a lot, a lot more postgraduate degrees in those categories. So the postgraduate community, for the first time in this Pew Research poll, only 48% approve of Biden's performance. I am gobsmacked. Well, but those 52% of uh, dissatisfied uh, postgraduate degree holders, they're not going to go to Trump either. So where does that then put the they general election? Home. They're going to stay home. That's what I'm saying. So do you wind up with a very low turnout election where Trump gets over the line, but it's because, you know, the whole Biden camp just simply stayed home and they couldn't bring themselves to vote for somebody else? Well, part of that hinges on what kind of a campaign it is. Uh, if it's as vicious and nasty uh, as some people predict, there are a lot of people who may simply be give up an exhaustion. On the other hand, if Joe Biden agrees to debates, and that's a big question mark, because he certainly spurned any debates in the Democratic primaries, if he uh, if he agrees to debates, uh, that could energize turnout. Um, the economy, if the economy gets better, that might lower turnout. If the economy gets worse, people might be very angry and want to make their opinions felt. Well, so on that whole question of the economy, um, we're starting to see some positive signs around interest rates. And yet at the same time, the dream of owning a home, and I think that's the most interesting thing here, because that middle class compact, which is what you know politicians have relied on for decades, ever since World War II, that's slipping away. And the monthly average mortgage repayments are now double what they were at the start of the Biden administration. I mean, it would seem to me that most people probably aren't too involved with the policies and the politics one way or the other, but they know that they're hurting and the things that they were promised feel like they've been taken away from them. Is that where the mood of the country is going? The Biden administration made a fatal miscalculation. They thought they could sell the American people on, okay, we had some inflation, but we brought it back down. 
What they forget is this. Over two-thirds of Americans are young enough. They have absolutely no memory of the last time inflation was raging through the economy in the 1980s. Uh, they have always lived with stable prices, more or less. So suddenly prices spiked and everything went up. Gasoline, electricity, used cars, housing, mortgage rates. Well, their perception, and I've talked to many of them, and polls bear this out, their perception is, well, after inflation, prices should go back to before the inflation. In other words, back to 2019 or 2020. Of course, that's not going to happen. That's not how inflation works. We're not going to have deflation. Fed won't do that. So that's why people are so dissatisfied. So when you see mortgage rates going up 90%, this is an event that they have never experienced in their lifetimes. And they're confused and perplexed and angry. In other words, these young American people don't know, don't understand when we warn them about high interest rates because they weren't around when their parents were paying twice the mortgage rates that these kids have seen, and they're not all kids. These are people that are as young as my children, and I've got six grandchildren. They don't understand what inflation does to an economy. It destroys it. And anybody that says otherwise just don't get it. They don't understand. And in this case, it would be purposeful. This administration and Democrats, especially those in the Democrat Party leadership, they don't want young Americans to know that this is deadly. It will destroy the American economy, and it takes decades to go back and get it fixed. You know, you just heard a little bit part of an interview on Face the Nation with Lindsey Graham a minute ago. We're going to take a break when we come back, there's some more stuff from that. And I think, and it's Lindsey Graham talking, I think Senator Graham has messed up this time. That's next. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. On this! That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra. What is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many did he get? Satchel Paige is dead. He what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. 
like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh, jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Cause I only had a five and a one only. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Remember that song? Everybody plays a fool. You remember when songs back in the 70s and the 80s, when they wrote the lyrics... They actually told the story. They meant something. Uh, we're not we're not in that vein now with our music. Sometimes we are, and those songs always seem to stick in our minds. It's, I guess it's some words, some wisdom that we can grab a hold of and sink our teeth into. Before we get through this half hour, um, one of my former late night hosts. One of my favorites, Bill O'Reilly. Remember when he was w- with Fox News? Um, I've got a short audio bit with him over the weekend. He was talking about the election. And he specifically weighed in on some questions about Nikki Haley. I want you to hear from Bill O'Reilly in just a couple of minutes. But let's circle back to South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham on Sunday's Meet the Press. You heard part of that before. The substance of the finish, the second part of it, has to do with Israel in the Middle East. And Lindsey weighed in on a very controversial demand that Palestinian people of every type have been demanding for decades and even generations. They call it a two-state solution. And here's what Graham said about it. He's talking to Kristen Welker at uh, at uh, NBC Meet the Press. And Welker said, another week of just devastating headlines out of the Middle East. Graham, yeah, terrible. Welker, including revelations that three hostages were killed by IDF soldiers. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was in the region this week. His message The White House message is Israel needs to do more to protect civilian lives. Do you agree with how the Biden administration is handling this moment and this crisis? Senator Graham, generally speaking, yes. And the Biden administration went to Saudi Arabia. The idea of normalizing relationship between Saudi and Israel is still the big prize. I think the attack of October 7th was orchestrated to stop a march toward normalization. Iran's biggest fear if the Arabs reconcile with Israelis. So give Israel the time and space to destroy Hamas. That's non-negotiable. But we need to be thinking about the day after. 
Welker, is Israel doing enough to limit civilian deaths? Graham, I would hope they could do more, but here's the problem. Hamas is under schools. They're under hospitals. But let's talk about the day after this war. The Biden administration is trying to revive the normalization efforts, and I think they're right to do so. If you want to really hurt Iran long term, don't let them get away with destroying efforts to reconcile between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Welker, but think that's possible? Saudi Arabia on board with that? Graham, yes, I do. Here's what changed after October the 7th. Israel will demand security buffers they've never been demanded before because they can't afford another October the 7th. And to my friends in Israel, you do whatever you think is best for the state of Israel, but I can tell you, and this is Graham, stepping out in la-la land where he had no authority to do it. He said, I can tell you, Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries cannot normalize with Israel if they're seen, if they're having been seen as throwing the Palestinians under the bus. We have two choices, continue the death spiral or use October 7th as a catalyst for change. I think the Arabs are going to demand some form of a two-state solution to recognize Israel. I think Israel is going to demand security buffers different than before, and they need to make those demands. I don't know how this ends, but I'll tell you this. If we don't get this right this time, we're talking about another generation of just tit-for-tat death. Now, you heard every word. That's a direct quote from Graham. So let me ask you this. Do you believe the safety and security of every nation on the earth is part of the job of the United States of America? If you believe that, on what basis? What's the foundation of your thinking? Obviously, Democrats in this administration and those from the Obama-Biden administration and previous Democrat administrations, they feel like they're obligated. We got to go do things for these countries that are the right things. We've got to go even to our peaceful partners in countries around the world, and we've got to make sure they understand they've got to listen to us because we know what's right for them. We know what's best for them. Lindsey Graham, based upon what I just heard, he doesn't have a clue about the history of Israel and the Palestinians. And when I say history, I'm not talking about decades. I'm not talking about anything but centuries. These two have been at each other's throats, typically Palestinians and their fathers and forefathers despise Israel, always have from the very beginning of all of this. And I'll give you the the short history lesson. Palestinians come from the bastard son of Abraham and Sarah. The Israeli people are in direct lines to his stepbrother, Isaiah. Ishmael, 
was the other son, the one that his mother was the maid of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And they, generations and generations and centuries later, they hate each other. They always have. Palestinians hate Israel. I'm sure I can't say hatred. I've not seen Israel go after specifically, not nearly to the extent or as often as the Palestinians, the evil Palestinians, all Palestinians are not. Obviously, all Israelis are not perfect people either. But nevertheless, the war has been to exterminate. Only thing that's acceptable to the Palestinians, the militant Palestinians, is for the genocide of all Israelis. It's just like Adolf Hitler, with the exception of, I don't think the Palestinians have felt like they could exterminate all 9 million Jews, but Hitler sure got a good start on it, didn't he? But this two-state solution, here's what most Americans don't understand. And Lindsey Graham didn't make it clear enough in his response to this Welker woman at NBC News. Here's the deal. In 2006, the Palestinians were given that two-state solution. What that means is the Israelis, the Palestinians, the Palestinians want their geography of their own country. Israel was given the land that now encompasses Israel at the end of World War II by the Britons because they owned it all and had for many, many years. And they gave it to Israel. Israel in 2006, they gave the Palestinians the most beautiful part of Israel on the Mediterranean. They gave them almost the entire part of Israel that is on the the Mediterranean, where all the resorts were, on the beaches, all that kind of stuff, great fertile ground, Gaza, the whole strip, 25 miles of it. Now, that may not seem like a lot of ground, but if you know anything about Israel, if you've been there, Israel's not a really big area compared to the way we think in the United States. It's more like a big state, geographically. And the Palestinian civilians were given that. And what did they do? They decided, we're going to have free voting. We're going to have elections because we're a democracy. And so they had the first election, and guess who turned it upside down? The Palestinian terrorist. They got the winning votes, so-called, in that election. I don't know if they did. I don't know the details. But they took over the militant Palestinians. Hamas took over that piece of ground and have been using it in violence not only to attack Israel from right next door now since 2006, but from everywhere, and they leaked up with the other one of the very militant groups that are funded, established by Iran, Hezbollah. Hamas is one of them. Other Houthi rebels down in Yemen. And they've created this net around the Jews, and they all have one thing in mind. 
get rid of the Jews. I don't think we'll ever see Israel voluntarily give away any more of its ground. Why would they? Why should they? They were given it to be an independent state from the whole country by the English at the end of World War II. Gaza wasn't enough. How do I know that? (laughs) What about the famous saying we're hearing around the world? Many people who chant it don't know what it means. The Palestinians people, they want from the river to the sea. That's up on the northeast side of Israel, the west bank of the Jordan River, all the way across, including Gaza, to the Mediterranean Sea. And if the Jews are still in existence and that would ever happen, they still wouldn't be happy. The only thing they want is the obliteration of all the Jews on earth. Now, I want to get this in, so let's jump on this real quick. I told you, our buddy Bill O'Reilly on his show, he weighed in on some questions that he is being asked, and a lot of Americans are asking. In the presidential race, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, former United Nations ambassador from the United States, Nikki Haley has been a very powerful person, Now, before she got into the big-time national politics system in the United States, she didn't have a lot of money. She didn't. And like most governors of most states, when you're a governor of a state, especially a state like South Carolina, it's not a filthy rich state. You don't make a lot of money. But there are a lot of people out there. One of them, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's running against Nikki for the Republican nomination, for the 2024 election, he has constantly insisted that Nikki Haley is corrupt. And so Bill O'Reilly weighed in on it, and he answered that question for all of us. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the U.N. After you left the U.N., you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is, and now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. All right, is that true? Yes. It is. Here are the stats. Here are the backup. In 2018, when Nikki Haley stepped down as U.N. ambassador, she owed a million dollars, a million dollars in debt to Haley family. Okay? 2019 to 20, she took a job on the board of directors at Boeing, collected more than $300,000 for doing so, okay? Uh, In 2019, she wrote a memoir. With all due respect, it sold 100,000 copies, but we don't know how much she got for that, but I'm going to tell you she got about 400,000. That's what, from my knowledge of the publishing industry, probably got 400,000. In 19... She bought a $2.4 million home in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. And remember, just a year before that, she was a million in debt because she never could have got a mortgage for 2.4. In 22, she wrote another book, 
If you want something done, leadership lessons from bold women, she got $350,000 advance for that. 22 again, she made $2.3 million from 11 speaking engagements, all corporate. That is astounding. Astounding. And in 23 as well, uh, Forbes estimated she had an $8 million fortune. So in five years, she went from a million in debt to $8 million in the black. Now, is that corrupt? No. Ramaswamy overstepped it. Is it dubious? Yes. The big thing is Boeing. While governor, Nikki Haley gave the Boeing Corporation out of Washington State tax breaks to go to South Carolina to open shop. Nothing wrong with that. Boeing employed a lot of South Carolinians. But then as soon as she gets out of the governorship, she's on the board of directors at Boeing. Okay? Um, you know, you make the call. You make the call. I wanted you to hear that because that is the recipe for how the left mostly, but a lot of conservatives, Republicans and other conservatives that end up in the government that's how you make big money. You make all the contacts while you're in office. And then at some point when you're not going to be in office any longer, you want to make sure you had an open door or two or three so that you could take advantage of all of those opportunities that you saw others cashing in on. And technically, it's not illegal. But as Bill O'Reilly just said about Nikki Haley and I kind of like Nikki Haley. I wasn't really, really all in on her politics and some of the stuff that she did and some of the stuff she's doing in her campaign. Now, one of the biggest Democrat donors decided to switch his giving to Nikki Haley. Millions of dollars. And you know why? He's a hardcore leftist. He thinks she is the only one that can beat Donald Trump. And so he's writing Big checks to her, and of course, what do you think she's doing? She's cashing in. I don't guess there's anything wrong with that, do you? Well, that's it for Monday. Tuesday's going to be a big day. Steve Baker penciled in for tomorrow's second hour. We've got a lot of news on his deal from last week. It's still moving. Nothing's resolved totally. But he'll be here tomorrow. Till then, you guys have a great Monday. And enjoy Christmas this whole week. We deserve that. Christmas is a great time. We'll see you tomorrow morning, folks. There's a train coming to Memphis. The motherland of the blues. It's Christmas time in Graceland.